Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. How are you all doing? How are you all doing? Woohoo! It is a good night to be in church. Um, parents with kids, you might go back and get your dinner if you'd like. See, I remembered. I didn't forget. Um, but my name is Linnea, for those of you who don't know me. Um, and for those of you who are visiting, uh, we just want to give you a huge welcome. Um, but tonight, uh, we are going to just kick off and continue the series of Am I Enough? So Daz um, did an amazing job sharing just so much of his vulnerability last week. So if you haven't heard it, you need to check out the podcast. Um, but tonight, we are, again, going, Bruce and I will continue in that. Um, I feel like this question of am I enough and what is my value and what is my worth is such a um, common question that I find asking myself in specific situations as I continue to grow and especially in this day and where we at where we're at in the world um, specifically with my relationships you know am I important to my parents as a student you know am I valued by my teachers do I matter to my friends? Am I a highly valued employee as a boss? Do people see how much I sacrifice? What about my spouse? Do they actually desire me? Do they continue to desire me after I've been married to them for however long? Am I a loving parent? Am I appreciated as a grandparent or someone who might be in an older generation? What about the world? Do I add value to my community? Do I add value to Tamworth? What about my team? Am I a good athlete? Do I succeed in the um, sports that I'm doing? What about my church, Northwest? Do they value me? Am I important here? Am I loved? What about my country? What about Australia? What about, am I pretty enough? Am I skinny enough? Am I strong enough? Am I smart enough? Does God actually value me? Does he love me? Am I really loved by God? Am I a good enough Christian for those of you who are Christians? And then we ask, am I spiritual enough? Am I actually saved? Because sometimes when I'm in traffic in L.A., I don't think so. <laughs> um, but I think sometimes more than, more than not, um, I answer this question and I say, no, I'm not. I'm not enough. Because if I was, then maybe my world wouldn't be falling apart. You know, maybe I would feel like... Um, you know, I was more important to my friends or to my husband. Maybe I would feel more desired, and maybe you're like me, and maybe you're not. Um, but how could God value me if I'm hurting or if I'm in pain or if I'm in prayer and I'm asking him to change my situation, and it keeps um, not getting better, and it keeps becoming more difficult, or maybe the prayers that you've been praying haven't, you know, really turned out the way um, that you'd like. So I'd like to take you on a quick journey. Some of you know a bit of my story, and we're going to continue down that path. But in 2012 to 2015 um, is where I felt I found my purpose. I um, started going to church in Riverside, California, and I fell in love with God's church. I felt and saw how God was using me. I was making an impact. And from there, I just really believed in the local church. And I had never experienced community like that before, ever in my whole life. My pastors believed in me. I was getting opportunity. And um, then in 2015 and 2016, I worked for um, Target Corporation as a, a manager there. 
And I kept getting promoted quickly, and um, I could see just the teams that I was leading and the fruit that was being born from them. And I was like, wow, like I'm really making a difference. This is really awesome. I'd go to our talent days, which is like this section over here, in a very judgmental situation that you'd show up to, and they would literally watch you from beginning to end, outfit and critique you the whole entire time with how you interacted. And my boss, she'd ring me. She's like, Linnea, they think that you are like the standout out of everyone. I'm like, really? That's cool. I didn't really try, but no, just kidding. But it was just really, really great to see, you know, how I was standing out amongst my peers and I had never really seen those things in myself, but others were seeing those things in me. And I thought, wow, God is seeing me. And um, in 2016 and 2017, my journey with the Lord just continued um, to strengthen, and I felt, though, God, as God was asking me, you know, um, to just step out in faith more, and now I'm here in Australia and married Mikey, as you might know, and um, in, in that process from 2017 to 2018, this has been, like, the toughest time of my life. I completely lost my identity because of what I did back in America and what I came into and expected those specific things that I did to be copy and pasted. And it didn't work that way. I was no longer a leader in my church. I wasn't the day-to-day -day auntie to my Zion and Zara. And I felt like I wasn't as desirable to Mikey because I'm like, dang, he sees me on FaceTime. And now that I'm actually in person, you know, he's probably sick of me. He doesn't love me as much. But I wasn't feeling like my experience from my past job and everything that I had learned, I didn't know how was I going to, you know, see what God had done in me and place it here. I don't see how it works. It's very culturally different. Australians are like, yeah, should be right, mate. And we're like intense and passionate. And I'm like, how am I going to fit in this culture? Um... I was Mikey's wife. Oh, you're Mikey's wife. I wasn't, oh, you're Linnea, hey. But again, those were things within me, not anyone else. And I felt if God called me here, I wouldn't feel this way. And that was what I believed. God wouldn't lead me down a path of such insecurities, um, jealousy of my husband, thinking his life just got upgraded. You know, he's always wanted to be in ministry, and here he is full time. And here's this American chick moving across the world for him. His world just got better. And I felt like God was like, yep, I'm going to ask this of you. And yep, I'm going to ask this of you. And you're going to keep sacrificing. And this is what you're going to learn because now you're actually a wife and you weren't before. But I seriously was like, God, you love him more than me. This isn't fair. Or I am way more messed up than I thought because, God, you seem to be only asking me to sacrifice, or so I think, more than him. And this isn't okay, and you're exposing so many of my weaknesses, and I felt so ashamed that I could feel this way. And I was just like, Australia and my husband and my church and my job, they're not meeting my expectations. And nothing was enough, and I wasn't enough, and I'm not strong enough to do this. And I literally, okay, so my best friend Pauline, you guys, she is Arab, but makes lasagna. And whenever we had guests that would come for other churches or anything like that, she'd make lasagna. So I'm in Kohl's or Woolworths, one of the two, and I'm 
trying to find and make lasagna because I missed home and I just really wanted to feel connected. And we were going to Mikey's parents' house. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be like an awesome wife and I'm going to make lasagna. And I literally start sobbing in the lasagna aisle. Beck would understand. Amy, you'd get it. It's only pre-cooked noodles, you guys. I'm like, what do you mean? Pauline says that you can't make great lasagna with like pre-cooked noodles. You have to have the kind that you're going to make. And Mikey's like, what is wrong with you? And I am just like, I just can't like make lasagna. I hate this place. What do I do? Um, obviously, when you're transitioning, it's, it's normal. But yeah, it's crazy. I thought like what would be the most exciting time, treasured times of my life turned out to be just one of the most revealing because I felt completely stripped of who I was. Like I said, I realized that I was finding myself, my identity and placing my value in my titles and what I did and my relationships. But the most painful was when I was prepping for this message about, am I enough? I felt God tap me on the shoulder and he says, Linnea, am I enough? Am I enough for you? And if you can't say amen, you can say, ouch. Because I was like, ouch, God, that really hurts. But when we place our value, our identity, on our ever-changing circumstances, and our ever-changing world, in our ever-changing relationships, we crumble. Things fall apart. And I don't think God wants that for you and for me. So when we look at um, Genesis verse 1, verse 26, and for the sake of time, because, oh my gosh, I literally only have five minutes left, um, we're going to... Um, jump through this really quickly, but we begin to see God's value on man. And God created man in his image. He valued us above all things on this earth outside of him. He gave us usefulness. He gave us importance. But then the, de the devil tempted us to believe what he gave Adam and Eve wasn't enough. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Because <laughs> it does to me. We are created with value and purpose, and then not long after, we were convinced, yeah, God, that's not enough. Everything but one thing. And I find myself looking at every single circumstance that isn't right. And I'm like, yeah, God, sorry, that's not enough. You're not enough for me. And the devil who has been sinning from the beginning, which we read about in 1 John 3, verse 8, makes you and I believe that nothing is enough. And he tells us to go and find that in every single area outside of God. We are living in a world of not enough. I wake up and I'm like, yeah, I don't have enough sleep. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time off work. I don't have enough self-control. I don't have enough motivation. I don't have enough followers on Instagram. And I don't have enough hours in a day. But let me tell you guys, we all have the same hours in a day as Beyonce. Just saying. Stephanie, that was for you. Um, but we do. No, just kidding. But it's the enemy's plan from the beginning, you guys, to trick us into believing that what God gave us wasn't enough. And now, as believers and non-believers, he is trying to convince us to believe that his work and Jesus' work on the cross is not enough. And that is a lie. And Jesus came to destroy what has been broken. And let me tell you something. You and I are what's broken. <laughs> we are broken vessels. Because of our brokenness and the fall in the beginning, we aren't enough. And Jesus is the only one that makes us fit for God. So while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. So we're going to pick up really, really quickly and break it down in Romans 5, verses 1 through 2 in the message version, which reads, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. By doing what? By entering through faith, not through religious acts or works, but through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us. Not sometimes, not when he feels like it, not because you measure up or you have what it takes, always, because that's who God is. He is consistent. And because of who? Because of our master Jesus. Not because of you, not because of your personality or your success or because you feel pretty or maybe what number you are on the scale. Maybe because you're a leader, or maybe because you're not, or maybe you're Australian, or maybe you're American, or maybe you're from Ireland. Cliff, where are you from? Cliff? Cliff said he was from somewhere. He went to Ireland. Um, Or maybe because you're divorced, or you had an eating disorder, or maybe you feel depressed, or maybe you had something bad happen to you, or maybe you did that one thing with that one person, and you did it a lot of times. But you know what? It's not because of you. It's because of Jesus. You are not enough, and I am not enough, and we're never going to be enough without Jesus because he is our substitute, he is perfect, and he is never changing, and he doesn't wait for me and for you to clean our act up because that is the gospel, and that is the good news. He says, come as you are. Come as you are. So religion will make you earn, and you will always fall short, but relationship says, hey, I know you're not enough, but, I decla- but we are declared not guilty by the judge. And the judge says, hey, I actually want to adopt you. I actually want to adopt you. So in Ephesians verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 6 in the Passion Translation, says, For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the Anointed One so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love that he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. His plan to actually capture you brings God pleasure. That brings him pleasure. He wants to adopt us. And if you want to know a thing about adoption, is that adoption permanently transfers all rights and responsibilities, along with affiliation from the biological parent or parents, which means that unlike guardianship over any young person that takes care of any young or any person in general, adoption is intended for an actual effect of permanent change in status and in such that also requires societal recognition, either through legal or religious sanction. So God actually says, hey, I actually want to take all rights and responsibilities of you. (laughs) Like, quit trying to figure it all out. Quit trying to be enough. Quit striving. Quit trying to find yourself in all of these things. Because I actually want to be responsible for you. And you are going to see a permanent change. So is God enough for you? Is he enough for me? Do you accept Jesus as your substitute? Is what he, do, he is doing and has done, is it enough? Where are you finding your value? Is it in what you do, like me? Or maybe is it in the bad things that you do? Because number one, God knows 
Know what God says about you. You and I are found safe, adopted, loved, and valued, not based on what you or I have done, but because of what Jesus did. And point number two, God identifies with you and your situation. So our identity is meant to be in him, and we are made in his image because he doesn't want you to try and be anything else but in Jesus, and your situation is never, was never, is never meant to identify you. And point number three, he never changes. He's never going to change. He's never going to change his mind about you. He's never going to leave you, and he's never going to stop using you. And he is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life. Thank you. <laughs> that was good. Enjoyed that. Um, so, yeah, we, we're seeking to, to sort this question out, which Linnea pretty much answered. I just want to carry on with it a bit further. Um, of, am I enough? The question, am I enough? Or to personalise it for you, are you enough? And if you're here for the first time tonight, and this question might shock you, um, am I enough? Are you enough? The biblical and the theological answer to that is no, you're not. No, you're you're not enough at all. Um, And you might say to me, Bruce, that's not right. God accepts me where I am and I know who I am in God's eyes. And you'd be right to say that. God does accept you where you are. But the answer to it at the core of the gospel is that no, you're not enough. No, I'm not enough. And that is the heart of the gospel that we've all fallen short and we've all sinned. Without Jesus, none of us are enough. Romans 3, 9 to 23 says this, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jew and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery. Mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So, ow, that's pretty, there's some pretty rough stuff in there. But not one person is righteous. No one is enough on their own. All have fallen short. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The, the Bible is not a book that teaches us how to be good people, contrary to what some people might t- tell you. The Bible is a story about God's glory and his great salvation and his great love for us. Without Jesus, we're spiritually dead. We're lost. Ephesians 2, 1-10 says, or 1-4 says this, 
As for you, you were dead. Not just a little problem. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So on our own, we're not enough. And that's the bad news. Father, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would open our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we're here tonight, Lord, you would reveal things to us that um, need to be shown to us. God, I pray that anyone here tonight that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would open their heart to receive the message of truth and salvation here tonight. God, I pray that you would also reveal your great love for us, um, Lord, that you displayed on the cross. Lord, we commit this message to you. God, we ask for your presence here tonight. We pray that you would move with power and you would break off chains here and silence every lie of the enemy. God, we pray for your spirit to move here tonight. So the good news is, after we've established the bad news, the word gospel doesn't mean bad news, it means good news. And the good news is that Jesus has solved the problem for us. It's not even about whether we're enough. That's not the question. Because we lost. We've already established that none of us are enough. On our own, we lost. But Jesus, being God in the flesh, has already come and he's taken all of the sins upon this world upon himself. God has poured out the wrath on his son, Jesus Christ. He stood in the gap and received the punishment that we deserve. He is able to save and he is able to give eternal life. He didn't stay dead, he was resurrected back to life. And that's the good news of the gospel. As we'll see, that's not even the full news of it. There's more than that. Ephesians 2, 4 to 10 says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that so no one can boast. For all, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I want to reframe this question now to does God accept me where I am? And the answer to that question is yes, God does accept you where you are. You can't clean yourself up before you come to God. That's like trying to have a shower before, cleaning yourself before you get in the shower. God accepts you where you are. So that question is yes, he does, does accept you where you are, but it's only because of what Jesus has done. And God goes even further than that. He calls us sons and daughters even before he's accepted us. He's actually at the cross calling us into sonship and daughtership well before we've received it. But the thing is that you do have to receive that. The gospel came through the nation of Israel and not all the Israelites received their calling to sonship and daughtership. They're still the, the nation of Israel is still largely lost to the gospel. 
because they don't believe in Jesus. Acts 2.36 says this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So repentance means that you're going this way, you're living your own life, that you're separated from God by sin because God is holy. We cannot stand in God's presence. He is a holy and perfect and righteous and pure God. We can't stand in His presence because of our sin. And repentance means that we're going this way, we don't know Jesus and that we understand, we come to the knowledge that, oh, I have sinned against a holy God and we repent of our sin. And we turn around 180 degrees and we put our faith into Jesus and what he did at the cross and we believe that he is able to save. That's what repentance means, to make a full turnaround and put your faith and your trust into Jesus. But the thing is, a lot of people, they want to have the saviour part, but they don't want the lordship part. And the lordship part where you can't separate saviour from lordship. You just can't do that. This is what Mark 8, 34 to 38 says. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Jesus does demand that we take up our cross and follow him. We can't just tick the box and we're good to go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. Like Linnaeus said, we need relationship. It's about relationship and actually following Jesus every day. Part of you accepting your sonship or daughtership from God is that we follow Jesus. And this is what this is where I want to go with this now. Romans 8.15 says this, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. God gives us the right, the privilege to be children of God. He calls us sons and daughters of God. But the thing is, there's a response to that and it's obedience and it's servanthood. That's the response to sonship. Jesus wasn't kidding about some of the things he said. He does desire to see Christian fruit in us, to see that we uh, produce character, that we actually do change our lives as we follow him and we be obedient to him. Jesus' last command was to go into the world and make disciples of all nations and he wasn't kidding about that nation's part. And don't think that that nation's part just means the, the, the countries in the world. It doesn't work like that. It actually means, in the Greek, it means people groups. And there's something like 17,000 people groups in the world. And a third of those people groups are actually unreached. It says this in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. There's about a third of those people that don't know the name of Jesus that unless someone goes to them 
they will never hear the name of Jesus. They're considered unreached. And about a thousand of that third are considered fully unengaged. And we can be part of that. We're not called just to make disciples of Tamworth. As a church, we're called to make disciples of all nations. You can be part of that, whether you send, whether you go, whether you cover people in prayer. It's important that we understand that that is what Jesus has given us to do. He's commanded us to do that. But there's a key to this, and this is massive. And it's understanding that sonship comes before servanthood. Because if you get them mixed up, you can be in a world of trouble. Sonship comes before servanthood. Servanthood is a response to sonship, to what God has already done for us. And if you get that wrong, you can be in a lot of trouble because your worth comes from the wrong place. Because your worth and your value and your purpose and your meaning and everything should come from the Father and what Jesus has done from us, for us. And if you get it wrong, when you start to find the purpose and the plan that God has for your life, if you don't know that you're a son already, you start trying to, like Linnea said, to earn God's love, to strive. And you're trying to earn something that you can only receive. And then what happens is you draw your worth from what your titles are, the things that you do for God, you're trying to earn His love. And then what that does is put you in trouble because you're trying to look for all your value from what people say about you. And then when you fail, and you will fail, we all stuff up in this life. Or when someone says something bad bad about you and it upsets you, you're going to be in trouble. Because your worth isn't actually in what Jesus says about you and what the Father says about you. It's actually in people. And there's a fear of man instead of a fear of God. You need to understand that sonship comes before servanthood. I mean, you can call me what you want. You can say some bad things about me. And it is inevitable that will happen. I really hope that you don't. But the truth is we live in a fallen world and eventually someone's going to say something that's going to upset you. And that stuff will stick to you if you don't realise that you're a son before you're a servant. People that don't even know Jesus will start to say stuff about you and you'll be affected by it because you're worse actually not in what Jesus says about you. Listen to what it says in Revelation. 12, 17. Then the dragon, speaking of the devil, was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. It's inevitable that you're going to have stuff come against you. Jesus does not promise you a perfect life. He says there will be trials and persecutions. He says, blessed are the people that are persecuted. He actually says, blessed are the people that are persecuted for my name. You're going to be in trouble if you don't understand that that sonship comes before servanthood. Because the world, when you understand that, the world can't take from you what it hasn't given to you. (laughs) Jesus and the Father are the ones that give us our worth and our purpose and our value. And if you know that that is first, the world can't take a thing from you. 
can't take anything from me. can't take anything from you because it hasn't given you anything. Everything that we've been given comes from the Father. And we need to understand that. So the question to aim, am I enough, is no, we're not. But does God accept us where we are? Yeah, He does. And He loves us like you cannot believe. He accepts us as sons and daughters. He actually goes further than that. Listen to what this says in John 15, 13 to 17. I love this verse. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life. This is Jesus speaking to His disciples. For one's friends, you are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whoever you are, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give. This is my command. Love each other. God doesn't just call us sons and daughters. He calls us friends. I don't know about you, but that blows me away. The God that spoke this universe into existence wouldn't just call me a son. He called me his friend. That blows my mind every time that I think about that. But I tell you, if you take something away tonight from this message, you are a son, you are a daughter of the King. If you come to Jesus... He makes you royalty, like Linnea said before, created in the image of God. We are royalty. But the response to royalty is servanthood. It's a life lived in service to our King. But we need to understand that sonship comes before servanthood. So when I ask you a question here tonight, I don't know where you're at, what's going on in your life, whether you know Jesus or not, whether it's your first time here tonight. But there is a God that loves you. And it is sin that separates us. God is holy. And it is sin that separates us from Him. And like I said before, that was only half the gospel that I read you. The rest of the gospel message is that Jesus didn't come once. Jesus is coming again. The Bible says that when Jesus died and He was resurrected from the grave, He appeared to over 500 people for a period of 40 days and he ascended back to heaven. He gave the disciples a great commission to fulfill and he sent the Holy Spirit into this world. The presence and the Spirit of Jesus is here with us right now, convicting all of us, asking you all a question. Do you want to receive what I'm offering you? The Spirit of Jesus is asking that to you tonight. It says the Holy Spirit has come into this world to convince the world of sin, righteousness and judgment that Jesus one day will return to this earth. There will come a time when he says enough is enough. When the gospel goes into all the world, a few other things happen, that Jesus will actually return to this earth. The Bible puts a picture of the city of Jerusalem and it's a figure of in Revelation 20 of, the, of heaven joining with earth. And it's a picture of the city of Jerusalem coming to fill the whole, whole earth. Jesus will return and there will be the resurrection. Everyone that's ever lived will be resurrected back to life and will stand before the throne of God. People like Hitler, Stalin, Osama bin Laden, every single person that has ever lived 
be resurrected from the grave and stand before the throne of God. And they will give an account for their life. And I don't know what your excuse is, but the only thing that I'll have to say on that day is, Jesus, I knew you. The only thing, because I'm not enough. On my own, I'm not enough. And that day is coming. Whether you confess Jesus is Lord in this life or the next, you can't escape that. There's a word that Jesus used in the New Testament in Greek for hell. It's called Gehenna. Gehenna was a place that was outside the city of Jerusalem. And before the Israelites came to take that city, it was a, a place where the Canaanites used to sacrifice children to their gods. So when the Israelites took that city, they're like, what are we going to do with this place? So they turned it into a garbage dump. They used to throw all the rubbish and everything on it. And that's actually the word that Jesus uses in the New Testament for hell. Because you can't preach the gospel without putting eternity in it. There is an eternity with Jesus and there's eternity apart from Him. So when the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, what's outside of Jerusalem? It's the garbage dump. And that's what the Bible gives the picture of as hell. The restored new heavens and new earth that Jesus will restore, you will not be able to enter that city. You will be left outside. You'll be eternally separated from God. And there is a God in heaven that does not want that, that came to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so you could spend eternity with Him, so you could be restored into relationship with Him. And He's offering you that gift tonight. The love of God is beyond anything that you could imagine. But there is a day that is coming. And I want to ask that question here tonight. I can't leave here tonight without asking this question. So I want to have everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes, just to give some privacy. And I just want to ask a question. If that's you tonight and you want to commit your life to Jesus, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand into the air. I'm not going to ask you to come up the front or do anything like that. But what I will ask, if you want to make that commitment tonight, I'll ask that you put your hand in there. And if you don't, I'll ask you to go home and consider that. If you don't have peace with God, if you don't know Jesus tonight, I'd ask that you go tonight and pray about the messages that you've heard tonight. Because there is a God in heaven that loves every single person here tonight. And sonship and daughtership comes before anything that we need to do in this world. So I want to pray for you tonight. And anyone wants to make that decision, just come and see me. I'm not going to ask you to do anything except to come and see me. Yeah, see that hand. Just come and see me after the service so I can give you your next step from here. So I just want to pray for you tonight as we finish. And then we're just going to go into the foyer and have some community. Lord God, I thank you for tonight, Lord, for the words that you've spoken. God, I pray tonight that people would get a revelation of who they are in your eyes. God, I pray that you break every chain that hinders people, that holds people back. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name, you would break those chains off. There is power to empty out the grave as we sung before. So God, I pray tonight for resurrection power in people's lives, in their finances, God. I pray for healing. Anyone that needs it here tonight, God, we command healing in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that people would leave here changed, 
they would be healed, God, physically, spiritually and emotionally. So Father, I thank You tonight for who You are. And God, I thank You that You would call us sons and daughters and You would go past that You call us friends, God. So we thank You for that tonight, God. And we commit that to You in Jesus' name. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.